0: Welcome to Night Sky Tourist, a place to learn the night sky, have fun with its ancient stories, meet astronomers and dark sky advocates, and fall in love with the dark. I'm Vicki Dirksen, your host and author of the website and blog, NightSkyTourist.com. If you've never visited the website, I invite you to stop by after the podcast. Check out some of the great blog articles, browse through the resource page, and sign up for the monthly newsletters. The newsletters have great content that is exclusive for subscribers. In this episode, I chat with filmmaker Daniel J. Clark about his documentary that looks at the Flat Earth Movement. Our favorite NASA solar system ambassador, Ted Blank, is back to answer your questions, and we'll finish off with a naked eye tour across the night sky. Are you ready? Let's jump right in. Do you know people who are convinced that the earth is flat? I do. And listening to them defend their belief is like watching a well-choreographed acrobatic show. There's a breathtaking twist here and an impossible twist there and contortions that make my head spin. My brother Nathan told me, you have to watch this documentary called Behind the Curve on Netflix. I'll only tell you that it has to do with the flat earth. Well, I've always been fascinated with the history of our astronomical knowledge, and I'm always curious how outdated and ancient beliefs maintain a foothold in our modern times. Although we've had two millennia of scientific consensus that the Earth is round, groups really began to form in the 20th century around the idea of a flat Earth again. The membership numbers in these groups are admittedly small, but the idea has gained publicity in recent years, from rap artists to NBA athletes and conspiracy theorists of all stripes. The Behind the Curve documentary gives a -a one-of-a-kind glimpse into the world of true flat-earth believers, and Daniel J. Clark did a super job of telling their story and capturing what drives these people in those beliefs. I'm so happy that Daniel accepted my invitation to join me on Night Sky Tourist Podcast and to talk about his film and his current project. Daniel has worked in film as a director, editor, cinematographer, sound designer, and more. And his independent television pilot for the show Cowards earned him the Best Comedy Pilot Award at the New York Television Festival in 2014. Please join me tonight and welcoming the brilliant Daniel J. Clark to the podcast. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on the Night Sky Tourist podcast. I'm super excited about our topic today.
1: Thanks for having me. So uh, I remember I'm curious why you're so excited. <laughs>
0: why? Oh, well, first of all, I watched your documentary, Behind the Curve, because it had been recommended to me. And I was like, Um, a documentary on flat earth someone's like barking up the wrong tree (laughs) they're like seriously you gotta watch it so I remember getting several minutes into it and I remember just thinking where is this documentary gonna go is this in support of flat earth or not I couldn't tell right away but honestly when I got to the end of it that's one of the things I appreciated about it that you didn't come right in telling viewers what to think, you kind of took us along on this journey and allowed us to discover for ourselves as as the story unfolded. So I really liked the way that you did that. And I'm curious, what is it that inspired you to do a documentary on the Flat Earth Movement?
1: Uh, well, thank you for w- what you just said also. But we were looking, me and our filmmaking team, Nick and Caroline, we were looking to make a documentary and I was really interested in trying to figure out, you know, something about conspiracy theories because we had a few people in our lives who were conspiracy theorists and we independently came across people who were in the flat earth world, like they, they believed in flat earth or they were, they knew people who did and we looked into it and we, like most people assumed it was not, you can't possibly really believe that. But as we looked into it, it's sure enough, people really, really, really do believe it. And so we're like, all right, well, this is interesting. And then as things unfolded, we were like, well, this is a good, you know, way to get into just belief in general, because it's something, and when we say this explicitly in the movie, which is like 99% of people, 99.9% of people will not think the earth is flat. And therefore they will be able to look at this, these people as believing something untrue. And then you can get into the, why do they believe it? And how do they believe it? And, you know, what keeps them believing it? And I think that was, that was really enticing to us because we wanted to make a movie that wasn't just, because we've seen a lot of news pieces about Flat Earth in our research and they were all mocking. It's, it's exactly what you'd expect. Uh, They show like the most bizarre thing. And then they have someone say the most bizarre thing and you never get to know them as people. And so you're able to just other them real easy and say, well, that person's crazy or whatever. Right. So we wanted to get into it a lot deeper and show that, you know, people are not stupid and crazy. If they believe in near flat earth, they're just thinking of it in a different way than you. And you have to understand that Mm -hmm. And that's something that was really exciting for us. And so we went and started making it and no one else made one before we made ours. And then it came out.
0: It's great. And how did Mark Sargent respond to the way you presented him?
1: Uh, He was happy with it. I mean, Mark's still going around doing his thing. Um, (laughs) You know, he he said many times and not just to us to be nice, but he was like, you know, this is a good snapshot of what happened in this year in the flat earth world. And, you know, he didn't have anything really negative to say about us. I think some of the other people who were featured in the movie, their reactions, and I, I've said this before, but their reactions when they first saw the movie privately or at a festival screening was like same as Marx. You know, like this is pretty accurate to the depiction of flat earth at this time and our and our community was pretty fractured and it was a little it was a little tough to navigate but as people reacted when it came out on netflix and amazon and, and people were like on the internet started talking then you saw the the sub the people who appeared in the movies opinions changed quite a bit because then they were seeing the the more populist reaction to the film so i think they started being fine with it but then as they saw people's reactions they were not fine
0: what do you suppose like, really makes people, what makes Flat Earth seem believable to people in the 21st century? Because it seems like it's growing in popularity.
1: Um Yeah. I, and, you know, people a lot smarter than me have researched exactly why this could be. And But the, what I've heard and everything that I've seen is, has been, the consensus is conspiratorial thinking is really at the core of this. Mm-hmm. And if you are prone to conspiratorial thinking, you're going to you know look for that sort of thing and flat earth is a great just top of the chain like if flat earth is flat then everyone's lying and then everything else falls into place it kind of all becomes part of that system so i i think flat earth itself as a subject became more popular because it was online and there were like infinite amount of youtube videos about it and at the time we made the film youtube was just like whatever keeps people watching so they were suggest these things they didn't have those little disclaimers about facts and stuff like that so yeah there was nothing stopping it from just snowballing and building a community and i think a lot of people got interested because they were interested in another conspiracy like say like the moon landing or people who think 9-11 was you know an inside job they'll be then recommended this video and i'm sure a lot of them are like "Ah, man stupid but then they'll watch it and when all you're being presented with is information that proves the argument they're trying to point to prove It's really easy to go, oh, interesting. All right, I'm listening. And then they'll watch more and and kind of just be on that train.
0: There is a period in my life where I ended up being around a lot of people who were very conspiracy theory minded. Mm -hmm. And it is tantalizing. It's like giving candy to somebody for breakfast. You know, it's like, oh, okay, But um, yeah, it's mind boggling to me. I think you nailed it right there when you said that, you know, someone who's into one conspiracy theory tends to gravitate to a lot of others.
1: And it's not, you know, people want to, uh, everybody wants to believe it's a political mm-hmm. spectrum thing. Because like everybody who's like super left will say, oh, it's those right-wingers who are super conspiratorial minded. And then right-wingers will say left people are conspiratorial minded, whatever, or part of conspiracies. And it's just, it doesn't matter. Right. it's It's not that has nothing to do with it. And and sometimes it comes down to and this is not across the board, but a lot of times it comes down to control. And you know, if if the world as chaos scares you or the universe as chaos scares you, then you might look for something a little more like someone's in charge. As ev- evil as they are, someone's in charge. And there's a chance that you could be in charge one day or someone nice could be in charge one day and then um, everything will be fine.
0: You know, that interests me in the way if you go back to ancient history isn't that kind of where some of our mythologies Mm -hmm. came into play the same way Uh,
1: yeah like right like like grain is not just growing because the sun randomly shot a solar flare or whatever it's it's because you angered the god
0: right so your your documentary also shows these people they think really hard it's not like they're just dumb and take things in in this documentary these people are thinking very very hard about their ideas about how the world works you know how things are moving and they're really not afraid to spend money on equipment and things like that to experiment so that they can prove that the earth is flat and why do you think that they are willing to put so much effort into a claim when others are just like this isn't legit
1: I think people who have money in the community, because it's not everybody, I mean, a lot of people, just like, you know, cross section of society, not everybody has money to spend, but those who do are really passionate about it. And I think possibly the money is looking for some sort of validation. Like, if we prove this, then we're correct. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that may be also true of people in all different walks of life. Like, for me, it's like, oh, if I just had the next nicest camera, I, I could get an Oscar or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So maybe it's, it's something to do with like, you know, if we spend money, we'll then get the equipment to properly prove ourselves. And when that doesn't work, it's like, well, we got to spend more money because now it's like a sunk cost. And it's like, well, we just got to spend a little more, get this upgrade and then go from there. Uh, But I think it's, it's true. It's kind of like people who give a lot of money to churches and religion and charities. It's just something they believe in and they're willing to support in the ways that they can.
0: And I'm not going to give away the ending of the documentary, but that's... Sorry, right. Reddit, the- <laughs> Reddit
1: has already given it away.
0: <laughs> but that's that's one of the parts that really brings your whole documentary to a head is, you know, watching these people put their experiments into practice. Mm-hmm. And I won't say anything else about it. I don't want to give it away because I know there's going to well, people that are going to listen to this. They haven't seen it yet. Uh,
1: but the ending is, you know, the point at which people are like you kind of understand what's at stake at that point and you get to see people really put their, put their actions where their beliefs are. Yeah. It was, it was, it was an interesting night that night.
0: I imagine there was a lot of emotion connected to that moment too.
1: You know, I I don't want to say too much, but like that particular guy was very analytical and he's very, he believes in the scientific method. So like it wasn't crazy to him that this was a result that he could get. So you know, he wasn't uh, emotionally attached to the to the outcome in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was he was being good a good scientist. He was looking at it, saying, "Okay, this is interesting." So,
0: and I think there was someone in in your documentary that made a statement that I thought really rang true, about how sometimes that energy and that passion gets misdirected. If mm-hmm. if we could take that energy and passion and direct it towards, you know, things like the scientific method and stuff, what, what would those people be able to accomplish?
1: Yeah. That's people who are naturally curious
0: mm-hmm. and like
1: doing these experiments and trying to figure out like, cause the, some of the flat earth models are really interesting because it's, you have to take the existing globe and like how the sun moves or how the earth moves around the sun and how the earth rotates and tilts and the moon. And you have to figure out how that would all work on a flat earth which that math is very, very complicated Mm -hmm. if you try to kind of make it two-dimensional or, you know, based on flat disks instead of spheres. And some of the the mathematics that they're using, it's very impressive. It's kind of just reverse engineering a problem to get a dip to like kind of working the numbers to fill a different equation, I guess, to get to a different result. Because if you look at all the math, like the simplest solution is like sphere, sphere, universe, gravity. But if you don't, if you try to say well you can't use any of those terms, you have to use it out out, other things, then it's like oh that's tough. Now you now the sun has to has to do this pattern naturally, so it must be organized by a mechanic, and then the moon is moving at this rate, but it's always facing us.
0: I just watched a PBS series called Ancient Skies, where Mm -hmm. they went into you know the ancient cosmological ideas and brought it all the way forward, and the CGI with all of that stuff was so fascinating if you Mm -hmm. haven't seen it I I do recommend it
1: (laughs) do they is it is part of it where they just show you what the skies would have been like
0: they create kind of like these models of what the solar system would have looked like yeah based on what the ancient people thought and then brought it up into the time of the renaissance you know and Isaac Newton and Galileo and these guys and the things that they were discovering and Mm -hmm. then bringing it into the modern day and it's just fascinating you know, they start with some of the mythologies and things that that helped form those those ideas of how everything was constructed. And they did a really good job.
1: We're working. Our, our newest project is uh, we're following astronomers and astrophysicists trying to find the ninth planet. So that's our biggest thing. And so the solar system might be redefined once again and therefore our understanding of how planets are formed et cetera, et cetera.
0: Oh, that sounds fascinating. When you oh, yeah, it, that'll be done?
1: Uh, you'll, I mean, you'll hear about the planet's discovery and then hopefully short, shortly thereafter, you'll see the documentary is awesome. around.
0: So if I were to encounter a flat earther, what would you think would be the best way to engage in that conversation with them?
1: I would say, do not go into it thinking you'll change their mind. I know you'll, the instinct is you'll want to, and you'll really want to, and you'll be like, I won't, but hold on, just one thing, you know, uh, don't be an enemy. Don't be, don't antagonize. I think there's no reason to do that. You can, if you want to hear what they have to say, have, listen to what they have to say, ask questions, be curious, be kind, be empathetic. um, And hopefully they'll reciprocate that because anytime they're met with, and this is generally speaking, obviously, but anytime a lot of flat earthers are met with people who, get mad at them or yell at them or try to disprove them in the moment, it's just, it's not, it's only going to entrench them. And it's only going to make them say like, God, these, like people who believe in the globe, they're just brainwashed and they're idiots. And they'll think the same thing of you that a lot of people think about flat earth, flat earthers, which is not true. So I think just listening, if you want to ask some questions, and then if you want to do that, that's fine. If it's curious, if it's interesting to you to do that, but I would say, don't go in there yelling, don't go in there, trying to change anyone's mind, because it's not going to happen. What you can do is kind of like plant a seed that maybe will grow. But if you ask basic questions, they've heard it all before. So, you know, like, what's over the edge?
0: It seems like if you get them into a defensive posture, Mm -hmm. it hardens them a little bit more.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I would say like, like, they've heard all the questions, like, you know, what's underneath? And
0: why is ours flat and all the other ones are round? (laughs) Right. And then you get into different models.
1: And that's complicated.
0: So what kind of impact has your documentary had so far?
1: Impact is an interesting word to use. I think you're, you're a good example of, of people understanding that this is a real movement. Mm -hmm. And hopefully my, my ideal impact is that people don't then just like take what they believe for granted and don't take things. Like I have a lot of superstitions and little things And I know there's superstitions and little things, but in the, and I'm still like, you know, oh, but I don't know, it's working. Like when I knock on wood, it's working. (laughs) Um, Obviously empirically it's not, but you know, I I think the impact that we've seen um, people learn about it and maybe are inoculated inoculated a little bit to some of these conspiratorial thinking trends and flat earth specifically, what I hope doesn't happen. And I don't think it has is just people look at it as like a mocking piece about flat earthers I think we're trying to just use flat earthers and they're all like the people we followed in our film some of them are eccentric and a little weird like but honestly so so is everybody I could make a documentary about 10 people and some of them would be like little they would make fun of themselves or they'd be funny to watch um so I hope people don't think that we were making fun of them
0: well that's one of the things I think I appreciated about it is that like you took a very honest look at it you were very generous to you know, the people who believed in Flat Earth. And it didn't come across as, you know, the goal of mocking anybody or any belief, you know. And that's, and, and again, like I said at the beginning, I like the way that you didn't just tell the viewers how to think or what you thought. Cause I, like I said, I started out going, where are we gonna go with this? You know, and I think you just allow for people to use their own intellect going into it so i appreciated that about this we
1: did we did have like the scientists and like the different uh people throughout the film because we felt if we only showed the flat earthers people people like yourself maybe we get frustrated that we were mm-hmm. not countering in in the least and, and we also wanted to make sure we understood the psychological aspect of a lot of these belief structures and it's not specific to flat earth it's, it's just general i mean we even have a climate climate science uh, writer in there, just as like, that is another example of a belief structure that's not based in maybe the the facts and the data that we have right now. So what, because um, we, we've we been asked about having those people in there to counter the flat earthers. And to us, it was just, we needed some perspective that wasn't entirely one-sided. So people didn't feel like we were maybe creating propaganda or something like that, that we did have some sort of balance.
0: So I have a little question. It's a little off of this topic. And I asked this of my last podcast guest. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. So if you had an opportunity to go up into space with either Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson, would you do it?
1: Do I have to pick which one? You can. <laughs> no, I I would 100% do it. Um, I have said much to, to my girlfriend's chagrin that I would go to, if they were like, Hey, we need you to go to Mars. I would go in like a second. Like, I I don't know why it's a, you know, one way trip obviously, but hopefully not. Um, (laughs) But I don't know. Just something about it is so interesting. And I get lost. Like when I'm, when we're doing this planet nine search, I've been to like these telescopes in the Andes and Hawaii. And you just, you've seen the night sky in all of its glory. And when you see that, like just completely unfiltered or unobscured, it's just unbelievable. I'm scared by it, but also I think it'd be awesome, and I would do it. And I feel like the space tourism thing is a good excuse. I wouldn't pay for it; would have to be a guest. You don't have a
0: quarter million dollars sitting in your wallet.
1: I don't, uh, sadly. Just I'm shy.
0: terrified. I couldn't do it. I'm so yeah. afraid of heights, and I just couldn't do it. My husband, on the other hand, would do it in a heartbeat. Okay, so feel which like one would go When with? you're
1: that high, it doesn't even doesn't even register as high, right?
0: I, I probably, I don't know. I'll let you tell me. If you yeah. Can. Cause if
1: you fall, you just take a nap on the way down. <laughs> what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Which one would I pick?
0: Yeah. I want to know. I don't
1: know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know.
0: So where can people watch behind the curve?
1: Behind the curve is available on Netflix to stream. Uh, if you don't have Netflix, it's also available for rent or purchase on Google play uh, YouTube. You can watch it on there too. as like a rental Amazon, most of all the streaming services that you can find.
0: And what is your website? Where can people find you?
1: Uh, my company's website is called deltavproductions.com And if you want to learn more about the movie, uh, that's at behindthecurvefilm.com But on Delta V Productions, you can see the other things we're working on, including the Ninth Planet thing, which we're excited about.
0: Yes, that sounds really fascinating. I think we might have to uh, connect again when that one comes out. I hope so. Yeah. And
1: then uh, the fun thing about that one is it's like so different than flat earthers like we're now dealing with just scientists who are super just focused on one thing they're just as interesting right and there are also people who like think that they're wrong and i think that's really interesting too just like these think
0: that they're wrong about of another planet
1: yeah because i mean people have speculated about a ninth planet or planet x for a very long time but these scientists at caltech and then also people out of uh the carnegie institute have said, no, we, mathematically, it should be there. We just don't know where. We haven't seen it yet. And so that's what they're going for. They're just trying to see it.
0: So that's how we found, you know, Neptune and Uranus. That's how we found those is the exact yeah. same way. They knew it was there.
1: Yeah. Hopefully we'll capture it on film. Whatever.
0: And you know what's interesting, too, is that we're finding exoplanets in other places.
1: I am with you. I'm like, how hard is what? it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's very hard because it, it could be made of coal coal which makes it very dim and it's very far away. And I think, you know, one of the things that will probably happened is it it gets in the way of a star in the distance. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, well, what was that dimming? Like, mm-hmm. that's pretty much what's going to happen. But it's got to be somewhere.
0: I well, Daniel, that. thank you for spending some time with us on Ice Sky Tourist, And uh, we look forward to seeing your new work that's coming out. And I really, really recommend people watch Behind the Curve.
1: It was fun being here. I really appreciate it.
0: I love getting great night sky and astronomy related questions from our listeners. And each question is answered by Ted Blank, a NASA solar system ambassador. Our first question tonight comes from Arizona. Hi, my name is Prue from Scottsdale, Arizona. My question is, how big of a meteorite would have to hit our planet for everyone to be impacted by it?
2: Thanks for the question Prue. The asteroid that struck Earth 65 million years ago and caused the extinction of the dinosaurs and most of the rest of life on Earth is thought to have been about 10 kilometers or 6 miles across. According to NASA scientists, anything larger than 1 to 2 kilometers, roughly half a mile to a mile, could have worldwide effects. At 5.4 kilometers, or about 3 miles in diameter, the largest known potentially hazardous asteroid is number 4179 called Tutatis, but it has no chance of hitting Earth anytime soon.
0: Prue, this is a great question, and since you live in Arizona, I recommend you take a trip to the Meteor Crater. It's the best preserved meteor crater in the world. And if you want to learn more about meteors and meteorites, check out the last two episodes with meteorite hunting expert Jeff Notkin. Our next question is also from Arizona. Hi, my name is Noelle. My question is, if people in the Southern Hemisphere cannot see the North Star, what do they use to navigate?
2: Thanks for the question, Noelle. Sailors across the globe navigate by many techniques. Currents, water quality, bird behavior, water depth, dead reckoning, compasses, rising and setting of stars, positions of Jupiter's moons, time of the sun reaching its highest point, etc., North of the equator, the North Star or Polaris conveniently does mark the position of the sky in the sky of the North Celestial Pole. However, south of the equator, sailors can find the location of the South Celestial Pole by referring to the Southern Cross and other nearby stars and interpolating between them.
0: Now, while well, when I was younger, I traveled a couple of times to South America, and I was so accustomed to not looking up at the stars that I really missed my opportunity to discover a completely different night sky from the one that I'd lived under for my whole life. I encourage everyone to always look at the night sky when you travel to a different location, even if you're staying in your own hemisphere. Thank you, Prue and Noelle, for your questions. If you have a question for our podcast, please record a voice memo and email it to us at nightskytourist at gmail.com. You can also visit nightskytourist.com slash podcast for more details and tips on how to send it. It's time for our tour across the night sky. We've had some remarkable sights in the night sky this summer, and there's a lot more to come. Pause the podcast, gather everybody in your house, and I'll meet you outside under the stars. Did you get to experience the Perseid meteor shower last week? I caught a few meteors leading up to the peak days, but we had some awesome monsoon storms here in the Sonoran Desert, so it really blotted out the view of the night sky. Last week I promised to acquaint you with the constellation Hercules. You can find it by first looking straight overhead where you're going to see the bright summer triangle stars of Vega, Deneb and Altair. Now, shift your gaze toward the west a little way, where you're going to see a crooked box. These stars are not super bright, but if you don't live under terrible light pollution, you should be able to spot them. Try using a planisphere or a smartphone app to identify all the stars that make up this constellation. He actually appears upside down in relation to the other constellations around him. And the ancient people saw Hercules as a man who was on bended knee and he had both of his arms raised up. One was raised to one side and one to the other side. His right foot appears to be standing on the head of Draco, a serpent-like dragon whose tail is between Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, or also known as the Big and Little Dippers. The area of the sky where Hercules lies is filled with amazing celestial objects. It's home to numerous double stars, and there are 15 stars in Hercules that are known to have planets. Astronomers detected a powerful astronomical explosion there in June of 2018. It was 10 to 100 times brighter than a normal supernova. There are globular clusters, planetary nebulae, and even the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall, which is actually the largest known structure in the whole universe. In addition to the numerous celestial objects within its borders, Hercules has many tremendous myths associated with him, and they're all super fascinating. He was one of the best known heroes of Greek and Roman mythology. So, according to legend, Hercules' father was Zeus and his mother was Alcmene. Alcmene was the granddaughter of Perseus, who famously beheaded the snake haired Gorgon Medusa. But Hercules had enemies before he was even born. Zeus' wife Hera found out that her husband's mistress was pregnant and she flew into a jealous rage, of course. First, she used her supernatural powers to prevent Hercules from becoming the ruler of Mycenae by ensuring that a more feeble baby boy would be granted rulership instead. And then after Hercules was born, she sent two snakes to kill him in his crib. The infant was unusually strong and fearless, and so he strangled the snakes before they had a chance to strangle him. When Hercules grew up, he married, and he had two children. But Hera kept up her dirty tricks, and she cast a spell on him. And it made him temporarily insane. And in his insanity, he killed his wife and children. After the insanity faded, Hercules was heartbroken, and he felt tremendous guilt for what he had done. And so he sought out Apollo, who is known as the god of truth and healing. He begged to be punished for his actions. But Hera's vengefulness was no secret and Apollo knew that Hercules should not be faulted. So instead he assigned to Hercules 12 heroic labors or tasks. If he were to complete all 12 of them, he would be freed from his guilt and he would be granted immortality. Hercules became known for these heroic labors and he was revered and even worshipped by mortals afterwards. Zeus commemorated him for these mighty acts by placing his constellation in the sky. Let's take a little trip across the Milky Way tonight. If you cannot see the Milky Way, you are in the same boat as 80% of the people on our planet. Our careless use of artificial light at night creates light pollution, and it blots out our view of the stars and even our own galaxy. So let's start by finding Cassiopeia, Look directly toward the north, and then shift your eyes slightly to the east where you're gonna find a sideways W. Cassiopeia sits right over the top of the Milky Way. Now look southward and slightly toward the west from Cassiopeia, and you're gonna find what looks like, I think, an upside-down house as a child would draw it. That is the constellation Cepheus. And the bottom corner of it is in the stream of the Milky Way. Now continue toward the south to the super bright star of Deneb in the constellation Cygnus. And we learned about Cygnus in episode 18. Cygnus is a swan. Can you see his wings outstretched to either side of its bright star? His neck is outstretched toward the south. Can you imagine the shape of a swan swimming through the stream of the Milky Way right over your head? Now keep going south from Cygnus to the constellation Aquila. It contains another bright star called Altair, and Aquila is an eagle. To me, this constellation looks like a flying hang glider suspended directly over the Milky Way. Aquila points directly toward Sagittarius, we learned about Sagittarius in episode 19. Although he is known as a centaur, or half man and half horse, the smaller asterism of the teapot is what we mostly see in our light-polluted skies today. The teapot is just above the southern horizon right now, and it looks like it has a pointy lid. And if your skies are dark enough, it will look like steam is rising from its spout, which is, of course, the Milky Way. So from Cassiopeia to Cepheus to Cygnus to Aquila to Sagittarius, the Milky Way stretches all the way across the summer night sky from north to south. Let's finish up our tour by getting a look at those three beautiful planets, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn. And Venus, of course, is the super bright object in the western sky. It's starting to enter the constellation Virgo right now, the maiden. And it's going to be staying with us in the western sky until the end of the year. Now, look toward the eastern sky, and you cannot miss Jupiter. It's the brightest object in that part of the sky. Saturn is located about two fist lengths to the west of Jupiter. They will both be visible in the night sky for the rest of the year as well. If you don't have binoculars or a telescope, hunt down someone who does so that you can get a close-up look at Jupiter and Saturn. You'll be able to see the striped storm clouds on Jupiter and the four Galilean moons, and you'll be able to see the rings on Saturn, and you might even spot some of its moons, including the massive moon Titan. Don't miss our next star tour when we learn about some indigenous stories about the Milky Way. usually don't recommend fiction on this podcast, but if ancient mythologies fascinate you, you have to check out the book Circe by Madeline Miller. The strange Circe does not have the power of her father, who is Helios. He's the mightiest of the Titans, nor does she have the allure of her mother. So she turns to the world of immortals for comfort. Standing alone as a woman of power of her own making, she ends up drawing the wrath of both men and gods. To protect what matters the very most to her, she has to decide whether she belongs to the gods from whom she is born or to the mortals who she's grown to love. This book is storytelling at its absolute best. Circe crosses paths with many of the well-known mythological features of ancient Greece and Rome. As you learn the ancient stories of the constellations and planets of the night sky, stories like this one will help to bring it to life in a new way. You can search for Circe by Madeline Miller wherever you buy books. And it's also coming out in a TV series on HBO Max in the future. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Night Sky Tours podcast. If you enjoy the Night Sky Tourist podcast, please show your support by subscribing to it in your podcatcher, and leave a written review. Your reviews are really important to me, and they help others discover the podcast. Be sure to visit nightskytourist.com for great articles and resources, and while you're there, sign up for the monthly newsletter for exclusive content. Click on the podcast tab to find instructions for submitting your question for a future episode. Thank you to Daniel J. Clark for sharing with us about your amazing documentary Behind the Curve and giving us a glimpse of your newest project. Be sure to check out Daniel's work at deltavproductions.com. You can watch his documentary Behind the Curve wherever you like to stream movies check out our show notes for links to important resources at nightskytourist.com slash 21. We'll see you here again in two weeks. Until then, keep looking up.